This episode is about a Hawaiian waterman, lifeguard, and stuntman, Brian Kealana. But I'm also sharing a little of my story because I met Brian at a pivotal point in my life. I just quit my job in 2009 at the height of the recession and talked myself on a boat trip with some of the best surfers on the planet to an archipelago of islands called the Mentawais. It's off Indonesia, and we were on a famous surf boat called the Indies Trader. So on this trip, Brian, who you'll learn about and hear from after I tell this story, he gave me some awesome advice about not only dropping in on the waves in the surf, but in life as well. This legendary Hawaiian also has some great insight into traditional Hawaiian values and culture, respecting mother nature, how he made it as a successful stuntman in Hollywood, and living a life with intention. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. No matter how strong you are, no matter how much you know, sometimes it's the mental part that, that really you know, helps you survive, especially in the ocean. You know, because if you understand the ocean, especially with surf, it surges and it stops. You know, so it's finding those moments to create safety where safety doesn't exist. So here I am, 10 years later. I'm on a trip to Hawaii with my mom and we're paying homage to her mom, my grandma Dorothy, who lived there in the 80s and 90s. And we're also having a little mom-daughter time. And I really want her to meet Brian because he was just so impactful to me at a pivotal time in my life. So on this trip, I was the only female, which I was cool with, but the waves were bigger than anything I'd ever seen in my entire life. They weren't mushy waves that broke over sandy bottoms like I was used to back in San Diego. They were fast and broke over shallow coral reefs filled with amazing tropical fish that could rival any aquarium. And when you fell, it would hurt really bad. So my job on this trip was to be a writer, not the surfer. But a few days on the boat in really humid tropical conditions, I just wanted to get out there. For one, I had a lot to prove to everyone who thought I was absolutely crazy for quitting an amazing job at Vans. I also wanted to prove a lot to the guys on the trip who, I don't know if they thought a girl could hang, but mostly, I just had a lot to prove to myself. The problem is, I was terrified. Every time I went surfing and fell, I got held underwater for much longer than I've ever been held underwater. And when you're held underwater, it feels like eternity. The waves there were just so powerful and I was also underboarded. I had a five foot nine surfboard, which was way too small for these waves. And so I kept falling. So I asked Brian, this Hawaiian godlike looking of a man who I just met a few days prior on this boat trip for advice. I learned pretty quickly that among his many jobs, Brian had coached the actress Kate Bosworth into huge waves for the movie Blue Crush, which as a younger person was one of my favorite movies. When I met Brian, I have to tell you, he had this aura about him that immediately resonated a sense of peace, safety, but also he just commanded respect. I respected him immediately in a way that I just didn't normally feel about people. He just had this strong but calm, reassuring sense about him that was really enjoyable to be around, and I could listen to him talk all day. So finally, I got up the courage to talk to him. I just asked him, Brian, what do I do? I keep falling and I get so scared underwater, I told him. 
Oh, you just sing a song, he said. So, of course, the first thing that came to my mind was something that was playing on the boat, which was some jingly Don McLean song that goes, Bye, bye, Miss American Pie. It's a great song to have in your head, except for when you get to this phrase, Cause this'll be the day that I die. That is not a good song or lyric to have in your head when you're underwater wanting to live. So I told Brian my song choice and the lyrics, and he just laughed and smiled. Pick a different song, he said. So I picked the first thing that came to my head, which was, you are my sunshine. I must have been just staring at the sun. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Every piece of advice he gave me was so simple, yet so poignant. We had a lot of conversations over those next few days on the boat, but by day four or five, I really just wanted to catch a good one. I finally mastered falling and singing, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. And I also finally borrowed a bigger board that I could ride. It was six foot 10, much bigger and better for the waves there. And now I really wanted to catch and ride a solid wave, a wave that was awesome. The problem is I'd get to my feet and the waves were so fast, I just kept falling. Shelby, Brian said, just say, make it, make it, make it. He told me this one day when we found ourselves as the only two out when everyone else had gone back to the boat for lunch. We were at a place called Mutz, which is a reeling left-handed wave, and to me, was terrifying. So my default when I'm scared is to kind of be neurotic and ask a million questions to whoever's next to me to distract myself. So here I am, I'm in the middle of the Indian Ocean, just Brian and I alone, and I start Barbara Waltersing him, asking him how he got Kate Bosworth, this model and actress, to serve big waves for the movie Blue Crush. If she could do it, I thought so could I. Oh, that's a good story, he says. I took her to Waimea Bay the first day. If you know anything about surfing, Waimea Bay is a place where the waves are ginormous. Well, that way, that would be her normal, he told me, because if I started her off in Waikiki, which, by the way, is where most people start off because it's relatively small and easy and mushier, well, then that would be her normal, he said. So I don't get to hear the rest of the story, that he actually only took her out on a jet ski and a snorkel in the channel away from where the waves were breaking, but I'm imagining this dainty blonde model careening down a 50-foot wave who hasn't really surfed that much in her life or less than me, And just as I'm imagining Kate Bosworth careening down this giant monster of a wave, this triangle of water juts up from the horizon in the Indian Ocean. It's a wave coming right towards Brian and I, and we're still the only ones out. Brian looks at me with serious eyes. He looks back at the approaching wave. He looks back at me again. You gonna go? He asks in a way that basically says, you better go. I'm gifting you this wave. You're gonna really wanna go. so terrified, but I lie on my surfboard and I paddle my little heart out. The wave looks huge. Underneath is jagged, shallow coral that I know could really cut me up, but I look forward and I paddle as hard as I can. I look ahead and I remember all the advice Brian has given me so far. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. I paddle a few more times. The wave picks myself and my board up and we start zooming at what feels like lightning speed. I quickly pop to my feet 
and we're going so fast, it feels like I'm on a small skateboard going down a really steep hill. Make it, make it, make it. I'm going so fast, the board's fins make a hissing sound as they glide through the surface of the wave. Make it, make it, make it. I'm now finding my balance and getting in the groove. I'm in the perfect spot of the wave, and all of a sudden, the wave speeds up even more. It gets incredibly steep. So steep, I think I'm gonna fall. Make it, make it, make it. I keep going fast. It feels like a roller coaster. My gut reaction is to close my eyes when I go so fast, but I keep them wide open, and I'm so grateful I do because all of a sudden, the wave's lip begins to throw itself over my head. I'm enveloped in crystal white-blue water. The side is like nothing I've ever seen. The feeling is magical. I'm in the barrel for, well, maybe a nanosecond, but I feel changed. I feel totally different. I can hear Brian hoot and say, nice one. I don't feel like he can really see it though. I mean, he's behind me. I kind of wish someone could see it at that moment. There happens to be a photographer in the channel that day. I had no idea he was out there and not just any photographer, but a guy named Dana Edmonds. He's a legendary photographer from Hawaii. He captures it all on film. I got it. I'll have bragging rights for eternity. In the photo, I have awful style. My booty is totally sticking out in the air, but I have the most epic smile. This is the wave Brian coached me on. It's funny because I'd interview a famous surfer a few years later. His name is Mickey Munoz. And he told me that he once caught a wave so good in Indonesia, he came out of the barrel 10 years younger. It just had that much magic. I'd say that one wave gave me an uber amount of confidence. The confidence to pursue the life I'm living right now. And I really have all the men on this trip, and especially Brian Kealana, to thank for that. Brian, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. We're in beautiful Makaha. This is so pretty. Yeah, last time we was in beautiful, was it Indonesia? You told me this sentence. We were sitting in the middle of the Indian Ocean. I had been terrified the whole time to catch a wave. And you gave me some advice. And then all of a sudden, a triangle of water comes up. And you say, are you going to go? That's the best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a fun trip, you know, up there and stuff. But, you know, it's all about being in the moment and, you know, just w watching. And sometimes we tend to overthink things, you know, rather than just let the moment happen. And, and sometimes to let that moment happen, you got to put your mind in a different place. You know, like I said, you know, if you're going to make it, sometimes, you know, let your body be there, but let your mind be someplace else, you know, and just sing a song while, while you're going through that journey. So that was the first piece of advice you gave me, was sing a song. That was really helpful. Yeah, yeah. You do that in other situations too? Yeah, you know, one of the things I learned growing up was really about um, no matter how strong you are, no, no matter how much you know, sometimes it's the mental part that, that really you know, helps you survive, especially in the ocean, you know, because if you understand the ocean, especially with surf, it surges and it stops, you know, so it's finding those moments to create safety where safety doesn't exist, you know, so in between all the chaos and, and uh, you know, the mayhem that happens and stuff is, is how to create that serenity or that, you know, calmness in chaos, you know, singing a song is putting your mind 
someplace while your body goes through its turmoil. You know, you're being thrashed around, like, you know, going over Niagara Falls and, and being pummeled all around. But in time, that's going to end, you know. So it's, it's really surviving for that duration of that time. That's the whole thing and stuff, too. And, and if you sing one song, like this with the ocean, it's like a, a surf. Um, you're probably underwater for maybe 10 seconds. You know, so just for that 10 seconds, can you sing a song? How long can you sing a song? So we can sing a song for like, you know, at least a minute, you know, and, and try to finish that song. But again, you know, it's all about, I think what people lose track is uh, you think about breathing and, and your breath. But really, you know, in survival, it's not about your, your breathing or your breath. It's all about how much oxygen do you have in your bloodstream? Because it's more about oxygenating your, your brain, you know, so doing breathing exercise before you go out is like, you know, eating a, a big meal, you know, breathing correctly is again, you know, being calm is really um, utilizing that, that um, blood flow because when you get panic or when you tense up, you burning a lot of energy, you're burning a lot of oxygen. So you're throwing everything away. So, you know, again, in times of chaos, be calm, you know, be cool, um, relax and, and let, time pass, you know, so you can come up with oxygen, come up with energy. What song do you sing when you're underwater? Oh, God, what song do I sing? I don't know if I sing a song, you know, with, with me, it's just kind of like I, you know, I dive inwards, you know, meaning that if I'm going to go under, I, I dive deep within myself and, and kind of, I kind of just go blank, you know, really, you know, just not think of anything. You know, get get to the part. I, I think maybe the closest is um, meditation. You know, like what the monks do is like not really think about anything. You know, and just that way you you kind of rely on your senses. You know, your 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 feel, your touch, what your body doing. You know, that kind of thing, and and not really letting my emotions control my actions. You know, so I think you know to to that level. Maybe before I was younger, I probably thought more but now it's I you know don't even think just kind of more just be as you can tell during our interview Brian and I are sitting on the lanai right over Makaha Beach I know the ocean is really important to Brian and also to the Hawaiian culture and traditions I wanted to hear more from this amazing waterman about how his background influenced his life and career you are as Hawaiian as Hawaiian gets. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to us what that means? You know, um, it's so funny. We talk about our culture, our past, or really our genealogy. And my cousins was researching our family background, you know, going back. And, you know, the Hawaiian culture, the Hawaiians actually, it was one of the most educated cultures. You know, if you look back, most of the Hawaiians was uh, literate, actually where they could read, you know, a, a lot. Our queen, before, you know, wrote a lot of books, you know, wrote in two languages, Hawaiian and English. So it's kind of neat to see generations of where we came from and where my father and my grandfather and my great-great-grandfather, and it's always been practiced to recite your genealogy, you know, from your father and what lineage you came from, you know, what bloodline you came from and stuff also too. So it's kind of neat having that solid base, you know, understanding who we are and stuff too. But besides knowing our genealogy, our culture was 
you know, it's it's funny because the way we grew up in the uh, Hawaiian way of thinking, it's it's different from Western way of thinking. When we talk about like say land issues, so you know, in Hawaiian way of thinking in our land was we never owned land and we never owned like water, but we were always stewards or caretakers of the land or caretakers of the ocean or being responsible for the environment or things that feed us or, or provide for us or surrounds us versus the Western way is, you know, I own this piece of property or I own this surfboard or, you know, I, you work for me, you know, kind of thing. It's, it's just different. So even the, the words that you use in Hawaiian, it's probably a lot more different because it's more poetic way of speaking. You know, like when you hear the word aloha, people look at that word just as, as a word versus in Hawaiian way of thinking is, it's not a word. It's more of an intention. Um, the way you say it, aloha can mean a lot of things like, you know, I care for you, you know, a love for something or um, it's, it's just a, a deeper meaning. You know, I don't deny either part of who I am, the way I live, you know, the culture we live in right now. I think of myself more of a hybrid where, you know, I put culture and science together and blend the two, especially for life saving. So like when I was growing up in the ocean with my father right here at Macaw Beach, my dad would throw us in before we could walk. We could all swim before we could walk. He would throw us in the current and swim with us and make us understand that this current is going to take you down the coast. It's utilizing those energy to augment where you're going and what you can do and how you can get out of it. Or if you get caught in an undertow or, you know, time and how you can, you know, relax and those kind of things. So at a young age, you know, I see that not just in myself, but a lot of when you go down to the beach over here at Macau, you see a lot of the younger kids, like two, three years old, playing in a show break. You know, and especially with a lot of the parents or friends and and they learn along the ways what I call when you go in the ocean, you're going you know, to two things. You're either going to um, school or you're going to church. One, you're going to school, you can get educated about what the ocean is going to share with you. The other one, if you're not going to be listening to what the ocean is saying, you're going to church and you're going to be talking to God at the same time. Like, oh, my God, what I got myself into. <laughs> <laughs> so try to go to school before you go to church. It's interesting because I interviewed Cliff Capono last last year or the year before, and mm. he said very similar things yeah. about Hawaiian culture. Yeah, yeah. So you're basically traced to the king. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. It's kind of neat seeing how that lineage, you know, keeps going, going, going. And both my cousins, um, you know, did separate research and came up with the same kind of things. So it's kind of neat watching our family, you know, grow. In fact, we just had a family reunion and met some of our family that we never met before you know so that was kind of neat too. that's really cool yeah i love that your father would throw you into the current before you could walk and you've become this amazing waterman well you know again just growing up my father being probably one of the pioneer surfers buffalo you know, Kailana. buffalo Kailana, yeah so you know in times where Macau beach was the mecca of surfing in the whole world the wide world of sports where you would see them you know on tv really happened here at Macau and you know my father was one of the competitors but he also was a world body surfing championship too so you know just growing up with with that and living the lifestyle of of the ocean where 
my dad was the park keeper at Macaw Beach. Our house was literally a two-story house on the beach in the center of Macaw Beach. And, you know, I just remember at a young age, we never went hungry because my dad would, you know, go into the ocean and he would dive and he wouldn't just catch fish and, and spear for just the family. He would feed the whole beach, you know, friends, tourists, whoever was there. So and cool. if you are walking on a sand or swimming in an ocean, you became part of our family. So everyone ate and then, you know, one of the locals or my dad or someone would pick up a, a, an instrument like a ukulele and, and just start entertaining and playing music and just enjoying. So, you know, for me, it was such a, a rich upbringing, you know, mm. with so much um, life and energy and happiness. And, and that's what Makaha is really about. It's really about our family is, is like a, a, not just a community, but a village, you know, and it spreads really far and wide where everyone knows everyone. One of our cultural practice before was what we call hukilau. Uh, hukilau is um, everyone, you know, from different parts of the neighborhood would come in the hundreds and they would bring rope and they would tie the rope together and guys would climb up the coconut trees and cut down leaves and they would string the coconut leaves and they would surround this whole bay from where we're at right now all the way to the other end of the bay with ropes and coconut leaves hanging down. And all the, the, the men would go out and swim with like bamboo goggles or whatever face masks they would have. And some without fins and, you know, they're just phenomenal watermen. And, and all the elders and the kids and people on top would be pulling the rope. So they would yell, hooky. Hooky means the pool. Ah. Lao is rope. You know, hooky, lao. And, and I know would, the song. Hooky, hooky, hooky. Yeah, hooky, yeah. hooky, hooky, yeah. lao. So, you know, someone made it into a song, but... It was practice, and that was uh, practice from eons back, where he would pull on the rope, and the fish would get scared in because of the coconut leaves, and you know the guys would be splashing around the whole bay, and they would pile the fish into this humongous fish ball, and then they would take a net and they would surround the school of fish, and then they would start bringing the fish up slowly. But what was neat was all the people in the community would have, you know, the different containers and. Someone would say, I like redfish or I like silverfish, and they would divvy them out. And what I remember was we didn't take every fish because once everyone had their fill, um, my father and everyone would release whatever was there left and just let it go. And if we wouldn't do a hukilau consistent. It would happen maybe like once every two years or once every five years. So it was... So you understood to keep the ocean sustainable. Yeah, sustainable. So, you know, and, and back in the days of the, the kings and queens, there was laws put in place of certain fish you wouldn't catch. Of um, You know, so aquaculture was a big thing in Hawaiian culture. And also land management, what we call the ahapua system, where certain families would live way up. And then as they go down, when the water spreads out, you would have all this taro, or it's like our Hawaiian potatoes that we make poi and all this sustenance for. When go you say all they, down. they would live high up? Yeah. Like so, in the mountains? So in the mountains, yeah. Okay. So high so up geologically. in the... Yeah, in the valleys, in the mountains. Okay. So you wouldn't have like a, a big, big village way up on top. You would have just... Because people spread all throughout spread, from the mountain yeah. down. So kind of like on triangle because as things kind of come down, it spreads out into you know, um, water management, you know, and, and then land management, you know, kind of things. 
And it, again, it was managed more of like caretakers, more than ownership, you know, kind of thing. So, and, and that was the, like I said, the Hawaiian cultural way. And it's f- funny because now it's circled back around for the rest of the world. You know, the, when you talk about sustainability, our culture has already been doing that. It was already practice, you know, and thrive and, and living, you know. So same with the, with the ocean, you know, because when I, was a, when I was a kid growing up over here, oh, man, you remember how much fish in Indonesia that we saw? Yeah, in abundance, you know, especially when I went to like the Maldives also too. I used to grow up like that here at Makaha Beach where you would see the ocean just move just with life. And it's been overfished Hawaii. You know, it hasn't been managed, you know. So now my kids don't experience the same thing I did when I grew up. That's a sad part. But again, we can learn from our past, you know, and try to, you know, reestablish some kind of footing, you know, into setting some rules of what, you know, not to fish and try to bring things back. What I love about Hawaiian culture, and I learned this when my grandma died too, is Mm -hmm. just how, I mean, just that you said, how community oriented they are. Mm -hmm. When she died, people came and they didn't bring, you know, in, in our Western culture, people bring flowers, which you don't need when someone dies. Yeah, yeah. But they would bring food and they would bring money to actually help pay for the service and the ceremony. Yeah, yeah. What other practices? I mean, I remember once you told me about when your daughter was born, mm-hmm. you took the umbilical cord mm-hmm. and buried it in tea leaves, I think, or I'm not sure. Maybe yeah, you can tell so, some of the great practices that you've you've so, kept in Hawaiian tradition. Yeah. So, you know, being a parent, you know, it's, um, again, a, a cultural practice from the past. So for our Hawaiian culture, it's the umbilical cord, you know, when the child is connected to the mother's womb. That umbilical cord has the nutrients that sustains life, you know, oxygen that sustains life, energy, you know, everything goes in into the baby from that umbilical cord. It's the lifeline. So when the baby's born, you know, it you have the umbilical cord is detached, but when it dries off, it, it falls off. So for us, what we do is we take that dried umbilical cord, we call the pico. And we wrap it up in a, a, with a lava stone and a tea leaf. Stone. And then we'll place it into a place of connection. For, so for us, my pico, my umbilical cord is actually here at Macau Beach. Mm. So it's been practiced because same with my kids. It's at Macau Point where I surf. But what that does, it reconnects all the knowledge, all the skills, all the energy, you know, that the ocean can give. You know, so you connect it to that part of that land or that ocean or that energy and um, vice versa you know there's some families that were part of the land and great farmers and they would you know bury it under a tree you know and that tree going to be given another life and you connect it to the land you understand the land and the importance of the land or you would be um, a sailor and you would you know, sail because we were, you know, celestial navigation people and um, you would burn it into the wind. So we go up in the sky. So you connect it to the wind. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's one of the things that people don't understand that even being Hawaiian, it goes deeper into Polynesia because we're, we won't separate it by land. We're connected by water. Brian took his knowledge of and respect for the ocean and he turned it into a very successful career in the entertainment industry as both a stuntman and a stunt coordinator, as well as helping do water safety for many different agencies. 
Hear him talk about how he got into the industry and some of the projects he's worked on after this message from our sponsor. If you're like me, then you know the same old, same old can get pretty old. REI happens to agree, which is why they think every day is a good day to change things up and opt outside. Whether that means you take a walk in the park or a longer walk down the trail, well, that's totally up to you. You could go climbing, camping, skiing, even spelunking. The options are almost endless. Whatever you want to do, REI is here to help you get outside. So visit REI.com or your local store to find out more. In addition to coaching people in water safety and lifeguarding practice, Brian also has a thriving career working on films and TV shows. In both coordinating stunts and doing them himself just as he does in the water, he brings a wealth of knowledge to the set. After doing some modeling and commercials in his youth, in addition to becoming one of the best lifeguards on the planet, he got a job on Baywatch, which helped pave the way for his entertainment career. What lessons from Hawaiian culture have you taken to your jobs? Oh, God. You're a, you're a stuntman. You were this incredible lifeguard, and mm-hmm. you helped make, I'm just going to say it for you, you're, you're the guy who helped build the jet ski rescue sled, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I just saw a version of it almost on your truck. And oh, it looks like a subsquatch, <laughs> which is like a toy sled. <laughs> if you guys have ever seen the subsquatch, it's this giant, fat, wide, inflatable stand-up paddleboard that can fit how many people on it? Five to seven people. But, I mean, we fit a lot more than five to seven oh, yeah, people yeah, yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can fit a ton of your friends on it. It's like the most fun toy ever. Yeah. Okay, so you, you invented this amazing sled. Mm-hmm. You've probably invented, you're very much a pioneer in stand-up paddling with C4 Waterman. And now you do these stunts for a lot of great movies that are mm-hmm. filmed in Hawaii. Are you working on Magnum P.I.? Yeah, Magnum P.I., Hawaii Five-O. Uh, you know, it's, it's Lost. funny. Lost. Blue um, Crush, Blue my Crush, favorite. Yeah, Brohaba, <laughs> Waterworld. Aquaman? Aquaman, actually, Aquaman is my cousin, Jason. He's your cousin? Yeah, my oh, real cousin. Funny. And I, I actually got him into the business. Yeah, so I was working on the original Baywatch. and uh, Like the one with Kelly Slater and Pam? Kelly and Pam, yeah. Pam Anderson? Also, yeah. Really quickly, tell us the story of how you got just the job on Baywatch. That's so interesting. Oh, well, you know, even before Baywatch, I... I was um, lifeguarding at, you know, a young age, you know, summer hire. And then I also was surfing professional. So that was kind of the two jobs. But I um, landed a, a national commercial with Cheryl Teagues for Sears and was more in modeling. So got really involved in, you know, the film work through just modeling and then uh, seeing the type of money you can make, you know. And then from there, it was like, you know, wow, you know, just explore, you know, all these different venues and jobs you know we worked safety in different movies and and things like that and did like the original point break with patrick swayze and keanu reeves and we were a safety um you know back then and then um ended up what was my first job in stunts i think heart to heart was my first one you know so i was you know doing stunts and working in the film industry from in my teens you know and then just kept growing and going and you know, did um, Waterworld, which was probably one of my um, first biggest ones feature. And then just progress into, you know, City of Angels, Fear, Lords of Dogtown. I mean, you can IMDB me. And, and I think I did, you know, just as much movies as I have surfboards, you know. So what are stunts like? What does that look like? What does that mean you did? Well, when you talk about stunts, you're talking about the, the cream of the crop in the world as far as the most 
um, knowledgeable, talented people in the world, you know, um, guys that do X games and things like that. So, you know, I work with like the best car drivers or the best guys that can do fire or the best um, fight guys and things like that. So basically anytime in a movie you see someone crash off of a cliff or get in a surfing accident or... Well, with, with water, yeah. So water was my specialty. But, you know, in the film industry, you can't be just a, a one trick pony, you know. So a lot of times we try to share our experience and knowledge and we cross train. So, you know, like right now, I actually get called more for driving than in water work right now. So for like, you know, just stunt car driving or And you do the fights. actual driving? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you're still doing it. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Like, what's a kind of a card trick that you would do? Oh, just a lot of it is really um, hitting your mark, staying in control, you know, those kind of things and stuff like that, too. And then, again, we work with some of the best car drivers, you know. I mean, I consider in the whole world, you know. Um, guys can, you know, look like they're out of control, but they're really in control, mm. you know. So, it, it it's, you know, the stunt road is... It's really small. It's not a uh, big. Everyone pretty much knows everyone. And you can reference people. A lot of times, you know, there's um, new stunt people that come on. Um, a lot of times when I, you know, coordinate a movie for stunts, I'll, you know, not only look at the resume, but see who they work for and ask, you know, one of my friends that, you know, uh, probably work with them and get some background on that person. Because, you know, again, a, a lot of trust is built and you dealing with lives and safety, you know, and, and because I teach and practice risk management, you know, a lot, then, you know, it, for me, that's kind of the, the, the bigger thing to, uh, again, create safety where safety doesn't exist and create the visual, you know, physical effects that, that we do on camera, you know, also too. So, um, yeah, I, I don't just work in Hawaii. I work probably all over the world, you know, and then not just in the water and the ocean, but also, you know, land, sea, and air, you know, no matter what, you know, so everything from, um, I've skydived, I've been lit on fire, I've crashed cars, and, you know, so all those kind of things and stuff, too. Was there a Baywatch story that you wanted to tell? Oh, God, what we had, we had so much, you know, it's, it's hard to say, you know, what we've done so much different movies and shows on Baywatch, God, you know, we've a lot of stuff, even with um, Jason, you know, I, I think that's one of the, the greatest things is uh, Jason was modeling and uh, Aquaman Jason. Yeah, Aquaman Jason. <laughs> yeah. So he, you know, from a young kid, always spent his summers with us. So he always hung out with me and I took him down to the beach and then he um, started modeling and, and, you know, being a great model. And when Baywatch Hawaii came, I told Jason, Jason, you should try out because they're going to pick two Hawaii you know, one girl, one boy. And and he went out and he, I told him, I said, brag about, you know, tell him that you're related to me. Tell him you're better than me. Just get in, you know. So, you know, he did. And he got in on his own foot. And, um, you know, we were so proud of him and stuff. But besides uh, Jason, there was Kalai Miller and Stacey Kamano, two other uh, local actors and actresses. So they picked three, you know, all together. So that was kind of neat. And then Jason, you know, he made... He made himself, you know, because it's it's so funny. Me and him was just talking about him. I I did a movie in God's hands and, you know, brought him with me to the premiere and he kind of fell in love and, you know, it's like, wow, you know, he wanted to 
explored, did this, and you know, and and I think Jason has the you know same bloodline as me. When people tell you you can't or no or this and that, you just study harder or, or fight harder, and and then you know because um, Jason did you know Baywatch, I think he got stereotyped also too, and he fought his way out, you know, and and it's funny what people you know say about certain things because. Even for me, you know, when I think about like um, in Baywatch, man, I, I probably, you know, think that was probably the, the one of the best production that understood water. I mean, from the producer to the director, they like they rocked, you know, and, and it's it's hard to even compare some of the, the other um, people because, you know, the, the way that they move and, and how they move was unbelievable in the water. Mm. I think a lot of people are going to want to know, how does one become a stuntman? Oh, I get that question a lot. I imagine. It, you know, it, it's it's like anything else. You know, you have to ask yourself, when you trying out, you know, for stunts, you're competing with guys that probably, you know, like, how do you get in Red Bull? You know, the Red Bull team. It, it's like at that level, you know, the elite of the elite, you know, kind of thing. Looking like a, a an actor or an actress, and and having the skills to perform to the level of that that need, and and stunt work, a lot of people they they misinterpret like oh, I I'm willing to get hurt, and that's not a great stunt person, you know, to say I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna hurt myself so I get paid. A smart stunt man going actually get all the visuals and be smart of of staying in control and minimize the injuries or minimize the risk or minimize the hurt it's it's funny how some people they they think but again if on stunt is um you know say you have to perform to this level and some people say oh i'll do it and they don't perform to that level that's probably your last stunt you'll never work again you know so the power of no and and saying that i can't is just as important of saying yes you know, so know your limits and abilities, you know, and I think that's the, the great stuntmans that I've worked with, know their abilities and know their uh, limitations. And, and again, you know, we thread a, a fine line, you know, all of us do. And, and sometimes we tip over the edge and, and we'll, you know, head into that, you know, part where we get hurt and we get in danger. But it's the, the support and the preparation that uh, we surrounded by. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand, especially a great stunt coordinator will set up not just his uh, primary person for the stunt, but they'll set up their perimeter off camera of the, you know, who's safety for, you know, if a person's um, doing a burn, you know, who's gonna put them out, you know, um, what they're gonna do, uh, what kind of, you know, medical procedures gonna be, you know, there and stuff also too. So, you know, that, that's the thing. And I like working with a lot of the stunt people because for me, they're probably some of the most safest people on set because they always, you know, we, we create our chaos and, and design our dangers, you know, and, and, you know, look at things from so many different perspectives. We're not just looking at it one way. We're looking at it 360 degrees mm. of how can this you know, turn into, uh, escalate into a, a bigger thing, you know? And, and the worst thing is not capturing it, you know? Because you don't want to do it all over again, you know? So, so if a film guy blows it, you're 
<laughs> well, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I got not just into um, stunts or stunt coordinating, but I got my DGA directing to um, second unit direct. So when you direct, you have control of, of the visual, of the creation, of the story points. So it's fun in that design because then not just a stunt coordinator working with the director, but me being a director itself, have a lot more control over the outcome, in, especially in editing too. While Brian works in the entertainment industry, he also trains all sorts of agencies in safety and life-saving practices. He's really the ultimate teacher. His background, upbringing, and Hawaiian values help him prioritize what's important and live in a way he's proud of. So you do risk management, you do safety, you've done all these stunts, and I'm really curious about how your Hawaiian upbringing has contributed to some of the lessons that mm -hmm. you apply to your work today. Yeah. Well, you know, again, try not to forget, you know, I, I think one of the things I talk to my son about is just being honest to yourself first, you know. So one thing I, I treasure is my word. If I say, you know, that I'm going to do something, I try to follow through. And sometimes, you know, in life, it's like, I, I remember this one, oh man, I was in Tahiti training the Tahitians how to do rescues and life-saving and running one class and up there for the Billabong contest at, at uh, Chopo. And I got called to do Transformers and I couldn't leave because if I left, it's it's kind of it's kind of unbalanced between my word and also I'm, I'm balancing like money and life, you know. So yeah, I know if I stay, I keep my word, but also it's gonna help save someone in the future because of the the teaching and the knowledge that we're giving. And if I go, you know, to Miami and and do you know Transformer, I'm gonna end up making a whole bunch of money. But you know, again, in the end. You know how much is money worth you know you know and how much is a life worth and so you know it's it's always a balance of of things you know i i think for me it's more about the word enough you know that i treasure more than you know the word success because if i live with enough then i'm satisfied and i'm successful but if i try to you know be perfect in someone else's eyes and try to strive to get millions you know then something that can be you know just uh hardworking or, you know, I'm, I'm working for somebody else's vision rather than my own vision. I love that enough. Yeah. I think that's something <laughs> that I could really use to, yeah. to take right now, yeah. you know, rather than always reaching for success, reach for enough. Well, that's being successful. You know, it just enough is, is being successful, you know? So, you know, for me, I, I have a happy life, you know, I have a great wife, a great two children, and I live through them now and, and try to achieve their success. And, try to be supportive in any way and stuff also too and and you know it's it's great even you know i just purchased a property for for me and stuff that's way up in a valley that you know i can grow my own food oh, and raise my amazing. own you know i'm living my dream of what you know i i want to do yeah so living off the land yeah i mean that's the whole thing what i want to do i yeah we i mean too. my, my dream is off grid and you know, that. just, you know, self-sufficient, sustainable, mm. you know, and, and not relying on, on anybody, but not just not relying, but, you know, to the point where I can share and give, you know, 
And if I, you know, grow a bunch of, you know, fruit trees, vegetables, and, you know, for me, it's all about whatever's on my property has to be something usable, you know, medicinal has to be something that you can, you know, use, you know, to, to survive or thrive. That's how Hawaiians did it and from the beginning yeah, exactly. of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and, and like I said, you know, it's just a, a great way of honoring back my culture. It's so weird. You have such a dual life, like this Hollywood life and then this like complete opposite life of living off the land pretty much, off the grid. It's pretty cool to marry those worlds. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. I, and I think that's the thing is, it's funny because one of my friends told me, said, oh, now you're involved in Hollywood and Hollywood changes people. You know, you're going to change. And, and I told him, I, I got a different attitude. I think the attitude is, is I'm going to change Hollywood. You know, Hollywood not going to change me. And I think I've done, especially in Hawaii, because, you know, a lot of times production used to come to Hawaii and demand a lot of things. And here, you have to ask permission before you get permits. You know, you have to go talk to grandma and grandpa or the people that you're going to affect in that community or that area and ask permission. Because if it's a, a blatant no, don't, don't do it. That's the respect, you know. But then again, if you ask with respect, and you try to get people involved and educate them of who you are and what you do and what you're up against and how you're going to try and portray this, then you get welcomed in and you actually get more of one, one bigger advantage because you're sharing the, the local knowledge that already exists. You're sharing the local skills that already exist. And, you know, I, I remember, God, there was one time that we had to um, access one certain area and one tree fell down, you know, and then the production was like, how we can get across and just a phone call down the street and one of the guys who was working there had one you know machine and came over there pick up the tree move to the side and boom we got filming all day so it's you know again and that's because we asked permission before we actually went to the police you know being kind especially to your community is really important oh yeah especially in hawaii because the the difference here is you're on an island so if you make someone mad they probably related to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to get anywhere. You, you're going to have to fly someone in to, you know, kind of replace the, the person that you probably got rid of. One of the things you taught me in Indonesia was this beautiful approach to fear. You just said something really simple to me. Everything you said is very simple, but was poignant. And also was at a very pivotal time in my life. But you just said, Shelby, fear is just the unknown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all fear is. This is what I tell people is, what if I was to say that you can control your outcome? Anything that you do, you can control your outcome. How much fear would you have? Not much at all. Because I'd be in control. I'd be in control. You know exactly what can happen, right? So, you know, it's kind of like, um, no matter what you do, if, if you knowledgeable and, and have the ability in, in to perform, you know, anything. So for me, it's kind of like I understand all mostly the creation cause and effect in the ocean, not just from the past and the culture, but also in science from going to school, the, the physics of water, of how the, the density of water, because I dive into the salinity of the water, because what is the difference between salt water and fresh water, the impact? You know, have you ever been hit by a freshwater wave and hit by a saltwater wave? What's the difference? 
saltwater wave. I don't know. I feel like in saltwater you float more. But well, I, I've never been hit by a freshwater wave. Mm -hmm. I haven't been to Kelly's wave pool yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can get me an invite. So, you know, again, the volume of water, it, it all depends, right? The energy and those kind of things. So what's the difference? Well, it, again, salt, the salinity, the thickness, you know, of the water, the, the density of the water. And, and I think that's the thing what people... Which one hurts less? Well, they both can hurt, you know, <laughs> that's the thing. But it's just salt water and me surfing around the world, just feeling the energy from different places. You know, I can compare. I think that's the difference is a lot of people can't compare because they have, haven't experienced that. But the people that have traveled and have been hit by, you know, different waves around the world, they can compare. And, and they, you know, know that feeling, you know, of, of what it is. But again, don't take anything lightly because you still can drown in fresh water. You still can drown in three feet of surf. I think sometimes people look at the, the obvious being like, you know, this coming weekend, we have, you know, 50 foot waves coming in here and people see the obvious danger. But if you look right now, it's only three feet right now and a lot of people out, but they don't consider the danger. So they're not looking for it. I only get hurt surfing when it's tiny. Yeah, when it's tiny. Yeah, yeah, most people do. And it's funny being a lifeguard. It's most of our statistics kind of show that um, people get hurt in small surf more than big waves. And that's because people see the obvious dangers considering, you know, not the obvious. You know, they're out here, what I call beauty and a beast. You know, they're looking at the beauty but not understanding the beast. Whereas I, you know, I look at it. beauty and beast the whole time. But people look at the swaying palm trees, the blue oceans, you know, just the, they want to fulfill their fantasy, but they get whacked with reality. Oh, so good. You're so full of good one-liners. <laughs> Tell <laughs> you've been an actor. Brian taught me a lot of lessons, both in surfing and in life. First, fear is just the unknown. If you're scared, you just need more knowledge. Second, if you're being held underwater and you're scared, try singing a song, preferably a happy song, and always show respect. If you're going to take, take only what you need and give a lot. I wanted to talk to him about the other lesson I learned from that trip to Indonesia. Make it, make it, make it. There was something else you taught me that was so valuable on that trip. I kept backing off this one wave. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Shelby, you keep backing off. And I had just seen Bruce, this other guy with us, come off the boat all bloody. And you're, you were like, are you going to go? And I was like, no. It's... I was like, I'm done. I've surfed. He's like, you're not done. You're just scared. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm scared. So I paddled back out and I kept missing it. And I kept kicking out early. And you're like, just say, make it, make it, make it. Yeah. And so I just said, make it, make it, make it. Mm -hmm. Finally caught a wave. And then there was that other time in Indonesia, the very first wave that was actually like a real wave that I'd ever caught. And you said, are you going to go? And you asked in a way that said, if you don't go, you're going to be really sorry. So I paddled and I just said, make it, make it, make it. I popped up to my feet and for like a nanosecond, the wave the barrel. goes over my head. Yeah. And I'm like so ecstatic thinking this is the best moment of my life. And then I was thinking, God, that would be so great if someone else could see it. Mm -hmm. And Dana Edmonds just happened to be in the he, channel. He took the picture. He took yeah, the yeah. picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have it forever. All right on. Bragging rights forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that wave changed me. I mean, I interviewed Mickey Munoz, who's a professional longboard surfer. And he said he once surfed a wave in Indonesia, mm -hmm. came out the other side. And he, his body chemistry has changed. Yeah. He said he was a younger man and yeah. it changed him. Do you yeah. feel like the ocean 
changes you? Yeah, you know, I, I've always considered the ocean to be the fountain of youth because when I look at, you know, you don't see older football players playing football still, but you do see a lot of older surfers out and just living life. I remember one of my friends who was out of shape and um, we were stand-up paddleboarding just to cross-train. And he got into that and he lost so much weight. And then from stand-up paddleboarding, he started swimming. And then he started getting back to shirtboarding. And now he's back in, in the water. So to me, the ocean is a fountain of youth. It's just creating movement, you know. The ocean is not a swimming pool. It moves. So, you know, you have to go out there. And I think that's one of the, the other lessons is, you know, to understand if you can align yourself with the wave itself. I remember when you was paddling for that wave. And what I was thinking is, is if you give enough energy of yourself and create the speed you need to get into that wave. And once you create the speed and you get up, now you one with the wave. And, and that's the whole thing about the surf is aligning yourself with the wave. It's not you're separate from the ocean. It's being one with the ocean. That's a good lesson for just having success in life. You got to have enough speed to catch up to whatever you want to Yeah, because do. if you back off, you can get thrown over the falls. You know, if, if you stop and deer in the headlights, you can get whacked by the wave. You know, so safety is really aligning yourself and, and matching that speed of that wave. So again, you have to have the right equipment and the right frame of mind, you know, to get yourself into that speed of that wave. There's so many metaphors for life. And I, I think the last thing I took from that was if I'd stayed in the boat and ate lunch with the guys yeah. and not dropped in, you know, I would have just gotten seasick and sunburned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? But if you drop in, you, if you don't drop in, you never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody listening to this podcast probably wants to quit their job, move to Hawaii, become a stuntman, which is not always possible. Yeah. Just People just want to live more free. Maybe take the road less traveled. You've definitely taken a path less traveled. Just advice on, on how well, to achieve it. You know, I, I think no matter where you go, you know, home is wherever you kind of lay yourself at, you know. And, and I think what's important is, is not just yourself, but who you surround yourself with, you know, and, and uh, try to create that world that you want to, you know, what I, I tell my son is not just mimic, but embed, you know, it, it's, it's kind of what you project, you get back. Because if you project negative or, or anger, that's the world that you're going to live in, you know. But if you're always projecting just joyfulness and, and just sharing and happiness, and it's infectious, you know. So that's the thing. And, and that's why I say we live in an infectious place, Makaha. We, we live in such a happy place because of our community. You know, we, we live in such a, a fruitful, bearing place because of the way everyone thinks over here. So, you know, it's a, it's a magical place because we create it. When I went to Hawaii earlier this year, I was reminded of the magic of these islands and the people who have lived there for thousands of years. Talking to Brian about the lessons he's learned from his background and upbringing was really enjoyable. Thank you so much to Brian for sitting down to talk with me about your culture and career and also for teaching me those lessons 10 years ago that have helped me in the surf and life ever since. I hope we get to surf together again soon. I'm sure you'll have more pearls of wisdom to share. Thank you also to all the guys I met on that magical trip to Indonesia on the Indies Trader, 
you know who you are. That was really the trip of a lifetime for me. And to my mom, who talks as much as I do for not saying a peep during this interview, she listened intently, and then she asked me this really funny question. She asked me what that trick called the barrel roll was. I think she meant the barrel, but it was really cute. This podcast is produced and edited by Annie Fassler and co-produced by Chelsea Davis. It's supported by REI, a brand that helps us go on more adventures and get outside. I hope when you go outside this week, you really breathe in the world around you. Respect it, the power it has, the strength, and the peace. I hope if you're feeling a little sandy or salty, or you're a little scared, you also sing a song and drop in. Tune in week after next to hear from an author who channels his energy to focus on adventuring and how he's encouraging the next generation of kids to do the same by writing fiction books for kids about adventures. If you can, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to this show. And remember, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. <laughs>